you're listening to Board Game Bitch. I'm your host, Victoria Fraser, and we're going to talk about all things board games. Let's get started. Hello again. It is me, Victoria, the host of the show, uh, your favorite curly-haired dork, back again. Um, Today we're going to be talking about an awesome board game, one of my favorites, um, actually, I technically don't really own this. My friend Ryan owns it, but then I don't remember if he gave it to me or if I just was holding on to it and now I own it now. I'm not sure. Ryan, you can have it back at any time, but you have to play it with me still. <laughs> Anyways, this board game is called Evolution. If you follow me on Twitter or Instagram and soon Facebook, now Facebook exists, um, you would have seen that I posted already kind of like alluding to it um, to kind of hype you up and be excited because it's a good fucking board game first swear in the episode here we go all right little introduction so it was released in 2014 by north star games and became massively popular there's a two-player version as well now i forget what it's called uh but there's also another version called oceans and i think there's even an expansion thing that's called something else or maybe they just re-released it with another word tagline i should have researched that but whatever those are different than the one i have and the one i played um but yeah there's over twelve thousand different species of creatures that you create technically at the game apparently um so it's always a little bit different um tons of possibility there super awesome it's i see it's a good selling point and why they include it in the copy on their website yeah i I bought it or i got it and played it the first time i want to say three to four years ago it's been a while and i had never even heard of it i just the box had beautiful artwork, super great premise, and I was sold. I was like, this sounds like a great game. Um, and then like a year or two later, I started seeing it everywhere, like at gaming conventions, and I saw it even at like the ferry terminal. There was like a two-player version that I'd never seen. It was it was crazy. And actually, no, since then, it has become a big deal because it's not only has it been in the world's leading scientific journal, Nature, it's actually used in evolutionary biology departments at the University of Oxford, which is whack and super cool. Um that's awesome, right? It's like not just, it's educational and it's fun. And like, actually the scientific community has super embraced it, which is, I don't know how they, how they got that in, but good job. Good job, Northstar Games. Good choice there. Um, but yeah, the designers are Dominic Krapuchet, Dimitri Nore, Sergei Machin. Oh God, I probably said all of them wrong. There's a lot of Russian board gamers. There were like Russian board game reviews on here. And I was like, oh, I guess Russians like board games. Makes sense. Board games are great. Um, but yeah, so Dominic, I think, is clearly the, the main biggest um, design, like person of those three. I, from what I gathered, I couldn't find a lot of info in the other two. But Dominic has quite the backstory. And I do think it's worth talking about just because it's very entertaining and I enjoyed learning about it. So um, he's been designing games apparently for as long as he can remember. It's like the cutest little blurb on Board Game Geek. Um, and he made a game called Kablooji which was banned in eighth grade because like all of the classmates were playing it all the time and it was like too distracting, which makes me laugh so much because it reminds me of playing on my little Tamagotchis in like, I don't know, fourth grade. Let's talk about Dominic some more. Um, he won a $15,000 in a Magic the Gathering tournament as well. So prestigious nerd, as you could tell going by that. And then finally, this is the most interesting story that I found uh that I enjoyed is that in high school, after high school, rather, he was an Alaskan salmon fishing captain uh, on like boats, I guess, for a long time. But he always had that longing to play board games and have a company, right? And then one stormy night, 
um, some stuff happened in the engine room and he had to navigate by the stars because the electronics went dead. I can tell the story. I'm sure you could tell a lot better than I could because I'm not I'm making it sound so lame. But it was intense, I'm sure, right? You know, you can lose technology. You got to go back to the old ways. So anyways, um, the terrible storm, his boat's basically wrecked. He has to go back to shore and find his way home by following the stars. And so the company North Star Games was formed in uh, in honor of that moment, I guess, which is pretty cool. And I enjoy that because I thought it was a great name. I was like, North Star Games, that's like such a good name. I'm, I'm into astronomy. So I liked that. Um, okay, that's enough me, you know, fangirling over Dominic, cool Russian board gamer. Um, <laughs> but I will actually talk about the board game, I promise. So a little bit of intro there. Um, what type of terminology we're going to use today? Thank you for asking. Uh, the This is a strategy game. It is a card game, which means it has cards in it. Again, sometimes some of these definitions, it feels so silly, but, you know, it's categorized as a card game. I'm like, yeah, it's primarily card-based. Um, like, you're kind of managing the hands, like the cards in your hand to kind of do things. Um, there's action points, so an action point system, uh, which is kind of the way that you keep track of scoring. Uh, a few other things also contribute to scoring, but primarily the biggest one is action points, which ends up being food in this game. Excuse me. Again, I drank a beer. I always got to stop drinking beer during the podcast. Anyways, the next term is secret unit deployment. So this is a little bit trickier, and I had never heard of that about this term, but I have definitely played games with it before. Um, essentially, the information is only known to the player as they're playing something. So I think in Five Tribes and maybe some other board games that I've played, you, you can kind of put like coins in your hand and then like bid to go first or something like maybe camel up also has something like that um it's like you have a certain number of things that you know and you're putting this kind of face down card or these coins in your hand or something and no one else knows it um actually i guess you could kind of kind of consider peruto the dice game sort of like that maybe not i don't know anyways definitely this has that because of one of the phases you have like a face down card and the number on the card matters uh, for reasons you'll understand. So I think that's kind of cool, and it's um, an interesting mechanic that I do enjoy when board games kind of have stuff like that. So anyway, secret unit, deploy- secret unit deployment is a mouthful, but it's not so complicated. Um, it's just a cool aspect. And then finally, and this is actually something I really enjoy, is simultaneous action selection. And another mouthful, um, and there's probably other words for this type of thing because I played a lot of board games with it. But this is just the term I found online that made sense and that they attributed this game as well. Um, so in this case, it basically means all players play their turn at once. So if you played Seven Wonders or you've played Sushi Go, you totally know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like you're all kind of playing your hand at the same time and you do want to pay attention to what other people are doing. Um, and actually, when I played it, I we do play it all at once, but we kind of still play it in a turn sense, just like, or like we almost announce afterwards, okay, like what did you do? Just so you know what other people did. Um, but yeah, it's a simultaneous action selection aspect, whatever. It's got to be less of a mouthful. I feel like board game designers need to come up with better words for these things, but whatever. That's just my opinion. Anyways, <laughs> those are the terms. That's the gist of the game. Oh, did I say really how the game works? Okay, the premise is that you're making um, creatures that evolve and they attack each other and eat to survive. I don't think I said that, but I mean, with the name like evolution, it's clearly a game where, you know, creatures evolve and you can kind of get it, right? All right. So now we're going to talk about how to play. Um, Again, this won't take too long. Fast forward if you have played it before and you don't care. 
but stick around if you've never played it because this is good information. How to play. There are four phases in the game. First, you deal the cards. And at the very beginning, everyone gets one species, so you get three cards plus the number of species, so you only get dealt four cards in the very beginning. That's easy. You just get cards. Second phase, select food. That's when you have the um, secret unit deployment uh, mechanic happening because you're putting a card face down into the watering hole, which is where you're all going to eat from most of the time. Sometimes you don't, but most creatures eat from the watering hole, which makes sense. Uh, face down, there's a number on the card. That number is going to be the number of food tokens that gets put into the watering hole. Obviously, higher means more food, lower number, less food. And there are negative numbers. Um, third phase is the play cards phase. And this is kind of like where everyone does their thing at once. And they're just like, bing, bang, bum. I did all this. Uh, you have a bunch of cards in your hand. As I said, you have four. So you can do three different things with those cards. Well, four different things with those cards. You can play them onto your creature. So they are trait cards. All of them are just traits. And so, you know, they could say something like, um, it's got a hard shell. So that means it's very defensive. Like trying to eat a turtle, can you imagine? Be so hard. So it's very defensive. Uh, you play the trait. That's one way you can use them. You create a new species. So you discard the card and you take a little kind of species tracker thing. And that's another thing you could do with them. And you'll do that a lot. Uh, you can also discard a card to do two other things, which is to increase the body size of a creature or to increase the population. So those are the four different things you can do when you're playing your cards. It's all the same cards. There's no difference between them. They're all still trait cards, but you know, you discard them or you play them as traits. It's kind of it. Took me a minute to get that, but it's really not that complicated. And then finally, we have the feeding phase. So this is when you actually reveal all your cards. Um, well, sorry, you reveal the upside down cards that are in the watering hole, and they'll say how many food tokens get put into the watering hole for that round, um, which is important because, you know, if there's not enough food, people will starve. Well, not people, but creatures. And so then also the first player, this is not so simultaneous. This is definitely like a by turn thing. There's a little dinosaur marker, which dictates who goes first. So the first player gets to go and they get to eat from the watering hole first. That's just how it goes. You know, you can't eat all at once. You've got to take turns. Uh, there's only so much food to go around usually. You know, sometimes this is very scarce and sometimes there's very abundant sources of food. Depends. Depends on what you put in the watering hole, guys. In that secret phase. Um, but yeah, so... You can eat in the feeding generally from the watering hole, but also there's the food bank, which is kind of like the unlimited food resource. Or you can eat other players, um, which I didn't really go into that yet, but I guess I'll say now there's sort of a lot of different traits cards that do different things. So there's carnivores, which obviously attack other players, and then there's <laughs> herbivores, which just eat for the watering hole generally. A lot of tra trait cards give you exceptions on that. Uh, but the... the the herbivores, when you're feeding them, super easy. They eat from the watering hole or sometimes from the food bank, which is, again, just the bag of all the tokens. Um, not complicated. The carnivores eat other creatures if they can eat them. They have to be, like, bigger than it or something, essentially, um, or have certain traits to be able to attack the right creatures. Um, and then that population of the creature they attack goes down. Um and then there's also some scavengers and some other creatures that kind of have, like, extra features that mean that they eat at other weird times, which is pretty cool. Um, again, you have to kind of have all the trade cards to know how to be fed, but generally the main things you need to know is herbivores eat from the watering hole, carnivores eat other creatures, which is, again, very intuitive. Um, 
There's also uh, a thing to note here is extinction. So if your creature's population is ever reduced to zero, your species dies. So you get eaten. That's the last population. You're like, oh, now I have like the, the kind of tracker that gives you the size of your population. Is it zero or essentially reaches zero? You're dead. <laughs> it happens. Um, or you starve to death. So at the end of the feeding phase, if there's no more food in the watering hole and your creature just didn't get fed, it's it's gone. I'm sorry. Well, the population marker goes down to when it got fed, which if it didn't get fed, it did. Um, so make sure you eat. That's important. That's uh, that's that's just a life tip as well. <laughs> eat or you'll die. Okay, so the other things you need to know uh, with the rules and how to play is when the game ends. The game ends when you run out of cards. So the trait card pile is pretty, pretty thick. You get a lot of turns out of it. Um, eventually it runs out, the game is over, and you count, count the points. And so how do you want to win? Um, I said it a little bit earlier, the food tokens that your creatures eat, which carnivores eat uh, the little, you know, meat tokens, and then herbivores eat the veggie tokens, um, those go in a little bag throughout the game and you just count them, you know, get like 100 points or something, maybe 40, whatever, 40 to 100, it depends. You can get a lot, you can get a little, I don't know, I can't remember the average number of points, but that's one big dictate, that's one of the main ways to get points. Another way to get points is the population of your species. So the higher the population, the more points. So if you have like three species and they all have six population because they just had a ton of, um, I guess, fun times reproducing, <laughs> then that's like six times three species would be 18 points, right? Amazing. Um, and then finally, the third way to get points is the trait cards that are on the species. So you can put in a like four to six player game and things like three traits onto a species so that is three points on that one species that's it those are the things you get points for um that's pretty much all you need to know on how to play so now let's actually talk about like why this game is great and why it's maybe not so great but first of all why i love it um the artwork oh my god i mean i said earlier the reason i played this game is because i was just like the box was beautiful and I was sold. And I'm a sucker for artwork and everything. I drank a beer earlier, because obviously I did, called Hop-Tarts. And the can looks so fun, and it's a play on words with Pop-Tarts, but it was way too much IPA. Uh, or sorry, not IPA. It is an IPA. It was way too hoppy. Way too much. Um, the IBU was too high. It was too bitter. It was too bitter. That's me talking about beer. I'm getting distracted. Yes, I like good design. <laughs> so yeah, the creatures are colorful. Uh, the de attention to detail is fantastic. There's funny names on the little cards that give you kind of like a reference guide where you get to name your creature as like a, you know, uh, armadillo nom nom. I don't know, something silly. And then there's also more scientific ones. So it's great. Great artwork. Great. Just, you know, copywriting on the, the rules and like the player reference cards. It's 10 out of 10. Love it. Um, now the reason I really enjoyed is the interaction with the players. So your strategy does depend on what other people are doing in the game to some extent, I think. Um, and also you get to eat and attack each other. It's like Pokemon where you've got like, you know, I got my team of like three creatures that are super awesome that I'm attached to emotionally. Sometimes they die, but that's fine. Um, and you got your creatures and you know, you're all just kind of like attacking each other and like, I don't know, it, feel, it feels very much like Pokemon Stadium on N64, which I played a lot as a kid. So <laughs> I love it. It's fantastic. The interaction is great. Um, and actually, especially because it's simultaneous play, 
Um, games like Seven Wonders and Sushi Go, if you've played them before, they don't tend to have a lot of interaction in my experience. Um, and so I think Evolution's a bit different in that regard, and I really appreciate it because um, it really saves time in playing a game because you can have you can increase the number of players, but the number of turns actually doesn't increase, like the number of any amount of time. Like a four-player game of Seven Wonders takes just the exact same time amount of time as like an eight-player game of Seven Wonders. Theoretically, it kind of doesn't too because people, you know, obviously are people. There's more people involved, but in general, it doesn't change the playtime that much. So I think this game is great because it has that benefit, but, you know, there's more interaction, which doesn't always happen. Um, another reason I love it is the mechanics and the theme just work really well. You know, you've got these cards that you're putting the traits on, you're kind of making these characters or creatures. And another reason I really love it is the mechanics and the theme work really well. I feel like I'm making cool creatures with the creativity and the artwork is really beautiful. And I'm actually, like, attacking other players. Um, I did kind of feel the first time, like, a little bored because I was like, oh, the creatures that I'm making are just token, not token, but, like, little wooden blocks on a tracker. I was kind of sad in the beginning, the very first time. But then eventually my creativity kind of filled the void for me. Uh, but overall, I think the mechanics and the theme, it feels like, you know, your animals going to the water watering hole and attacking each other and evolving and adapting to the environment that you're in. So I super like that. Um, and then the fourth reason I really like it is replayability. And I, um, as I said before, really value games that are replayable. Um, I think this is great because there's so many combinations. So you can kind of try a different strategy and you can make a new character. I mean, I've only played this game maybe like 15 to 20 times, which is Surprisingly, not a lot. Normally, I play games a lot more than than that, especially when I first get them. I just like maybe I played more than that. It's been a hot minute. I have played it recently, like a good couple times, but um, before that, I don't know. Yeah, I played it, but I could play it more. Um, and I think that's awesome, being able to have a different strategy time and like feel like a, you have a different different creature that you've never made and be like, oh, this time I'm this time I'm using the intelligent trait or something, and I've never used it, and it's kind of interesting. Um, so I think that's great. Um, and I think that's also, there's a lot of potential for expansions and obviously they're already going that route because they have the oceans version. Um, I think they did, they did again, re-release the game to fix some of the issues that people have complained about, um, which I haven't played the newer version, but you know, I will at some point. <laughs> um, and actually I'm going to say this now because I really, I don't think Dominic's going to listen to my podcast ever, but if he does, or if anyone at North Star Games does, please make a Cambrian Explosion variant because that would be amazing. If you don't know anything about the Cambrian Explosion, oh my goodness, it's so whack. I learned it in my biology class and basically at this one point in the ocean, I don't know what happened, but like for some reason there was just this crazy evolutionary phase where tons of different creatures with all sorts of weird looking kind of alien designs existed and we have tons of fossils from this moment in time where life just exploded. And it's, it's specifically called the Cambrian Explosion because I guess that was the era that it was named. And again, life exploded. Um, the artwork, if you did a game like that, would be so cool. And uh, I would just love it. It would be also kind of more specific than just oceans, which is kind of broad. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity. And like, yeah, when you start going to the fossil record and taking like a lot of inspiration from that, I think there's there's some good creative ideas that can come out of it so i hope someday there's some other variants that kind of come out and get get done because that'd be awesome and i would look forward to it um so yeah that's the last things the replayability and kind of like a lot of future expansion expansions that i could see happening
And now uh, we'll go a little bit into the why I don't so love it. <laughs> I don't know why I'm naming these so silly. I mean, my like, yeah, anyway, my criticisms essentially. Um, and I got kind of like, again, like there here's like I had four things I liked and these four things I disliked. Um, number one is the luck factor. Unfortunately, this game and the cards that you draw do fall a little bit into the luck category of like what you could play um so you know sometimes you're forced to make a carnivore because you only have carnivore trades and like carnivore cards especially in the beginning when you only draw four cards that's so few the chances of you getting a good hand you know could be low um and actually i just played this recently with my friend casey and he i think he made a carnivore because he had no choice the very first round um which in the end i think he probably we didn't count the points because we forgot but he probably would have won. It would have been a very close tie. He was losing, losing in the beginning, but in the end, he ended up destroying me by eating all my creatures. Um, but anyways, you can kind of be forced to dictate your turn by the cards that you draw because of just straight luck. And that's kind of lame because then it takes out the strategy and it's just chance, right? Um, a second complaint, and this is not even about the game. This is just about the rule book. Oh my goodness. Like, I can't believe that the rule book is, it's, it's almost too simple. Um, it's a beautiful rule book. It's it's great. It's lovely. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, my issue is that it's just it's missing some things. Like it doesn't really explain the color of the card. I have to double check now. Maybe I was just a little bit drunk and I forget last time I played. But I I was trying to figure out kind of like why some of the cards are different. Like the fertile is yellow. There's also like gray and then there's red and then there's green guard. Like the cards are different colors and it didn't say why. And I wanted to know why they colored them certain ways. And there seemed to be no answer. Um, I don't know. There were like a couple of things that I found the rule book kind of didn't cover. So I hope to God in a reprint they fix that. My dear Dominic, if you're listening again, probably not. But <laughs> I'm sure they probably have because they have kind of re-released this game. Um, but yeah, it was a little confusing the first time I played it. And I had to kind of just make up house rules because it's like, I don't care to figure it out. Let's just do this. Um, so yeah, that's really not the game itself. That's just the rule book that's more of a design, not designer, but like I guess the company complaint. <laughs> Please fix your rule book. Um, yeah. So another complaint I have is the terrible two player mode. Um, carnivores are weak AF. They do not do well and they're actually normally almost overpowered in the game. So, uh, in the two player version, you only get to put two traits instead of three traits onto a species. That is not a lot of traits. If you're a carnivore, you would lose a trait because you have to play the carnivore trait to make yourself able to eat other creatures. So, you only really get one trait on your character. And if I'm defensive, you have no chance of eating me. You have to get the exact card to be able to eat me, and you have to be a carnivore. I was pretty much invincible most of the game recently that I played because, like, it was a two-player one, and, like, they just didn't have the right cards to attack me. Um, so, yeah, I think you're not a very strong carnivore when you play the two-player mode. So that's kind of a bummer. And I'm, I haven't played their two-player mode in Evolution, just the base game, um, and the old one from, like, 2014. I'm sure they've changed some of these things in later versions and in the two-player uh, version that exists. Um, but, yeah, in this one that I've played, it's, it's a problem. It doesn't work very well, which, you know, that happens in a lot of board games. They're designed kind of that four to six range, and then when you start getting to three players, you start getting to two players. You know, you have to make some changes to make the game work, and those changes don't always make the game better or work as well as it does with more players. Um, still enjoyable, but not as good. It's just how it is. I don't blame them. Not a lot of games can make that work. It's a really tricky thing. Um, yeah. So, number four, the final reason that I 
don't so love this game sometimes is the experience or skill gap. Um, so a lot of people actually point this out in reviews online when they played it that if they've never played it and their friends have played it before, they just don't know what they're doing and they find themselves just utterly whooped. And that sticks. I don't think that's a great game when like you have to know how to play well. Um, and I, I, I don't think I experienced this too much because I tend to be when I, I didn't play it very often in the beginning. Like I kind of played it here and there. I never played it like 10 times in a row for like a couple months, you know? Um, so I was always kind of remembering how to play when I played it. So I feel like we were all kind of on equal footing. But if I did play this game with someone who'd never played it, and actually most recently I did play it with someone who'd never played it and I'd played it a good number of times, th there was a bit of a gap and I felt kind of bad. But like, you know, this is skill gap. I don't blame the game for the skill gap. I, I blame like how you're teaching the players. Because um, I think people... People are a little bit like I remember the first time I played Catan with um, my ex and my friend who loved Catan. Neither of them told me where to put my goddamn houses in the beginning. And I put myself on like the worst, worst possible numbers because I just didn't understand the dice roll mechanic. Um, so I put myself on like 11s and 2s and 3s. If you know anything about Catan, you'd know that is very, very dumb. So I got literally no resources the whole game. And I just sat there doing nothing because no one gave me good advice on how to play. So if there's a huge skill gap, that could be an indicator that you yourself have not taught the game very well <laughs> to your friends who you're playing with. Um, so I don't, again, I don't blame the game, board game itself too much for that. Um, I kind of think that that is a still, the onus there is a little bit on the person who knows and is taking the rules and teaching other people how to play. So yeah, that, it, it is still an issue though, even even if you teach it to them well, maybe they just get confused because it's confusing the first time. I don't blame it. Yeah, I feel like I, I didn't want to go too hard critiquing it because I also, I in a lot of the reviews I read, it sounds like they've made some changes that are better that I would love to see when I buy a new version. Um, but, but yeah, they're aware of it. They're making it better. And that's, you know, this was the first one of, 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 um, of all the evolution variants, so I don't blame them for not being perfect the first time around. Um, but yeah. I also enjoyed reading reviews online. I think I might incorporate this in the future. It's just like silly reviews that made me laugh. So like what others had to say, maybe that'll be a segment. Uh, there's this one, <laughs> one person was just like, wife does not like extinction rule. And that was the entire review. And I'm like, okay. But like, that's a super crucial part of the game. <laughs> Otherwise, your creatures would never die. It's evolution. Adapt or be gone. Um, and then there was another one review that I read that was just like, my son always wins. I don't get it. And like exclamation point. Oh, so good. Anyway, just wanted to make sure everyone had their voices heard in their critiques of the game. So yeah, let's talk strategies, guys. This is the other good, good juicy parts of the podcast. Some strategy tips for you if you're playing Evolution and you don't want to be a newbie who gets your butt whooped. Well, good news. I'm here to help you win. Uh, <laughs> if you are a carnivore and you want to go with a carnivore strategy... Obviously, there's some intuitive things you'll probably be aware of, which is to put less food into the watering hole. Um, because the less food that is in the watering hole, the, you know, less the other players get to eat who are herbivores. And, you know, the better for you because you just get to eat them and then they kind of fall behind. <sighs> Carnivore people always do this to me. And then I get oh, so upset because I'm like, I need food. Because if you do it too much, then you have nobody to eat. You know what I mean? So it's still kind of a balance, but whatever. It's a strategy and it makes sense. Um, and then another uh, 
sort of strategy tip that I'd give to you is kind of more related specifically to a lot of different trade cards. Um, so picking good trade cards, that's what I'm going to call this one. And then I'll go into a few different things. So um, with the trade cards, um, you can eat from the watering hole, but the watering hole is a finite resource. It ends at some point. There's not enough food to feed everybody. So getting the traits that allow you to eat outside of the watering hole is probably some of the best strategies you can go with because you don't have to worry about running out of food. That's why the carnivores are great because they don't eat from the watering hole. They eat other players and then the token that represents that comes from the food bank. Um, scavengers eat when the carnivores eat, so they get also to eat from the food bank. Long neck creatures, they eat food that no one else can reach, so they also eat from the food bank. Um, that's unlimited food. There's so many food tokens you'd never run out. It's basically limited. Um, so those are really good traits when you can not eat from the watering hole because you're also eating from a source that's not under control by other players where they're, you know, dictating how many food tokens they put in with the secret deployment phase, right? Another really good traits or like good thing to keep in mind because you're going to be making more than one species throughout the game. You're not going to have one. You'll have like three to four, maybe even five. I think I've seen someone have five ridiculously enough. Um, it happens. So mutualism, which <laughs> this is so exciting because you know, we're using like actual biological terms and jargon. And I just love when science and board games, ugh, I love, I love when they interact. Um, mutualism, if you've forgotten, because, you know, biology 11 was a long time ago. I don't blame you. Uh, that is the interaction between two species where both of them uh, benefit from each other. For example, let's just paint a pretty picture for you. House cats were domesticated a good few thousand years ago. Maybe probably more, probably like 10,000 years ago. I'm sure we've had house cats for a very long time. Let's say humans, modern humans came into existence like 200,000 years ago. House cats probably came into existence like, I don't know, 30,000 years ago. Who knows? But whatever. At one point, cats moved into humans' houses and they were like, yo, this is great. I can eat mice. And then humans were like, oh, great. The cat gets rid of the mice. Fantastic. So the cat gets fed. The humans get rid of a pest that, you know, causes problems by bringing diseases and eating their grains, whatever. And also just making the place smell like mice. Mice smell terrible. I'm sorry. Hamsters? Terrible pets. I'm going to get flack for that, but oh well. <laughs> They're cute, though, but they stink. Um, so yeah, mutualism, symbiosis between your species. That makes you a very effective um, player, and you can get a lot of points that way. Um, there's like cooperation is a trait that's really good, where one character or one species eat, the other species eat. Um, so like thinking strategically, like, okay, my species, how do they interact with each other and how can I like benefit, uh, myself with that? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's important. I think sometimes people forget that. Uh, so picking traits like that is also really good. And then third, the picking good traits kind of thing, um, of this and third, and finally, the third kind of thing with picking good traits is reacting to the other players. So if you're playing a game and there's carnivores out there and you've pretty much just got to keep pulling the herbivore type of cards, you know, you want to be defensive. You want to get those defensive cards to make sure that they cannot attack you. You want to be burrowing. You want to be hard shell. You want to be climbing, like whatever trait is defensive. That means that you won't get eaten. So picking cards strategically, you know, depending on how the others are playing. If everyone's playing carnivores, Maybe you also need to play carnivore. If everyone's playing herbivores, maybe you should be the only carnivore and whatever. I don't know. Picking cards based on how other people are picking cards as well is very smart. Especially mm -hmm. the current, like I said, scavenger earlier was a great card. Scavengers are great if everyone's picking carnivores because then you just get to eat when they eat. Um, so that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, picking the right cards and being aware of how everything kind of works together is very 
um, good. And that's cool because it, it, again, ties into like the whole sciencey aspect of like ecosystems and how um, creatures and relationships happen like that. Which is just, oh, God, I can see why they love using this in universities because it teaches you a lot of things that are really interesting. Anyway, another um, strategy in the game, which is going back to the carnivores a little bit, uh, is the body size. So if you remember earlier, I did not say the body size, you can increase it and you need to be bigger as a carnivore than what you're going to eat to be able to eat it. But the body size doesn't get you any points. So if you go too hard on body size, just you, you, you've wasted that card that you, the cards that you burned essentially that could have gotten you points for giving you a species or gotten you points by being a trait on a card. Um, you know, it got burnt to, or also it gets you points by getting population. It gets wasted in a sense because it's just giving you body size. So thinking about the net worth there and if it's a good trade-off, um, you might be better with a higher population. Like if you increase body size in the very last round, that'd be silly. I don't know. I just couldn't see that making any sense because it just wouldn't pay off. Um, so yeah, body size people sometimes when they go to carnivore strategy, they're just like, oh, I'm a big, tough creature. But like, you can't eat anything if you're big and you don't get points. You want the points still. You know what I mean? I don't know. Um, another strategy, and I think this kind of ties into what I was already saying a little bit, was like the net worth of when you're playing with the cards, right? Um, always build a species. Species gets you so many more points because the species alone is, well, it's, yeah, it's worth points because it's population is one by default. So that's one point. Add three trades to it. Now it's worth four points. It gets you a card when you draw again. You know, it all just kind of cascades. So always try to build a species and then add traits to things. Um, it's always a good idea. It gets you more cards, gets you more points, more everything. Uh, that's You should be trying to get a good solid number of species under your belt, especially in the beginning. And then the final strategy that I wanted to bring up, just because I read this on a thread, and I don't think I agree with it, but I mean, someone said that their friend does it and it works okay, which is hilarious. This is a cannibalistic strategy, <laughs> which is not to say that they eat their own specific species, but there's people who put out carnivores and then they also put out their own herbivores and they don't attack any, well, they probably do still attack other people's creatures, but if they can't attack other people's creatures, they attack their own creature that they created. Um, so maybe they have like a fertile creature that constantly has a higher population and then they just eat it. <laughs> like, it seems weird to me that it would be effective. I feel like you'd want to eat other players because by eating one of your own creatures, you know, you wouldn't have a, an army of Pokemon and then like they're attacking each other. That doesn't make any sense. You know, you want to attack the other people's Pokemon. So I don't think the cannibalistic strategy is a good way to go, but someone on a thread said that their friend does it and it's okay. And I don't think that they're right Maybe their other friend just sucks at playing, <laughs> like they're doing something wrong. They're always winning and they're just attacking themselves. Oh my goodness. But I had to mention it because I just thought it was very entertaining. And you know what? If you have done and played this game and that is a strategy that has worked, let me know. I'm very curious about that. That's pretty much it. This is a long episode because there's a lot to talk about in this game and I didn't even get to talk about the new changes that happened in it. But but yeah, this, that is episode four of Board Game Bitch. Uh, have a lovely February now. Um, and you know, yeah, that's it. That's pretty much it. Um, it's a great board game. If you want to stalk the social medias, part of the Cave Goblins Network, obviously go stalk them, but I now have the Twitter, the Instagram, and the Facebook all set up, so Board Game Bitch is available on pretty much all of the social medias that matter. Um, go follow me there and stay in the loop of what's happening next. All right, that's it. Go play some games. Have some fun. Get some beer.
This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.